everything on your plate, there are starving children at the time. If your friends jump off a cliff, would you jump off a cliff too? Because I said so on the table. If you break your leg doing that, don't come running to me. Nothing good ever happens after midnight. Dave, shut the door. We're not trying to air condition the neighborhood. Because I said so, I'm the parent. I brought you into this world, and I can take you out. It would behoove you to do what I've asked you to do. Shut the door. We're not trying to, to air conditioning the neighborhood. You cannot start at the top when you get your first job. Draw like I'm sitting beside you. Think. I brought you into this world. I can take you out. You cannot start at the top when you get your first job. Uh, these past four weeks, have you enjoyed hearing what the kids say we say to them all the time? Uh, and I really have. I've had fun with that. And, and you can tell in the videos that they're a little confused about what those sayings mean, right? Because, hey, did you really get everything your parents said to you when you were growing up? Uh, hopefully some of it sinks in. This is a, a gift our son, Stephen, who's now in his early 30s, uh, gave me when he was in, I don't know, maybe third grade or so at Leslie Elementary. They, you know, would have those days when they would have these little gadgets, gifts there, and the kids could go to the room for a dollar or two, buy something for their parents. And uh, so he bought this for me one day, and he brought it to me. And it's just a little, you know, a little picture frame that says, Think of me, Dad. Please drive carefully. And this is the photograph, the school picture I inserted in that, and it's got a place in the back that's sticking. And, and for years, I mean for years, this was stuck to the dashboard of my pickup truck. And every time I would get in there and drive, I would see that. And um, that was 24, 25 years ago. I still have this. I'll never get rid of this. It means that much to me. Now, what happened was when he started driving, I gave him that red pickup truck. <laughs> Guess what was on the dashboard? And so it sort of became a, a little running joke between us that when he would drive, I would say, hey, hey, now, Stephen, when you're driving, think about Daddy. Because you know how Daddy would feel if something bad happened to you. So think about Daddy. You don't want to ruin my life, do you? So think about me when you're driving, okay? How miserable I would be if you, if you killed yourself. Think about Daddy. You know, and I'd lay it on, uh, and he'd just kind of grin. And even now, he's, I, I should know how old he is. I think he's 32 or 30, 33. He's something like that. Do you all know how old all your kids are? When they're, yeah, he's somewhere in his early 30s. Anyway, they'll come to visit us, and, um, and he'll be getting in the car to drive back home. And I'll still look at him and say, hey, now when you're, you're driving, think about Daddy. It's just kind of become our, our thing, okay? And he still just grins and takes it all in. And the reason, you know, parents say things like that is we worry about our kids, right? Especially when they're teenagers in college, you know, they're young adults. We worry about them getting into trouble, getting hurt, something bad happening, and they get frustrated with us sometimes because we worry so much. And, and you know, one of the times that's really interesting in life is when your teenager gets their driver's license, Okay. It's an exciting time and a frightening time at the same time, right? You feel both. Those emotions are just all over the place. I remember when I was 16, got my driver's license in Kentucky, I was so excited because it meant I didn't have to ride a school bus anymore, okay? But I'm not, I don't think that's how my mom and dad felt about it. 
Now, I was happy when Stephen got his license because he could drive himself to basketball practice and baseball practice, and I wouldn't have to do that anymore. But I was still, you know, you just worry about those things, and there's reasons for that. Uh, teenagers are in automobile accidents at three times the rate of other age groups. So teenagers are three times more likely to have an auto accident than, than adults. And when a teenager is in an accident, 75% of the time, three out of four times, it's their fault. That's one of the reasons parents worry. In America, six teenagers die in car wrecks every day. It happens in our community, doesn't it? In South Carolina, every 90 minutes, a teenager is involved in an automobile accident. They don't necessarily die, but every 90 minutes, every one and a half hours, a teenager is in a wreck, and they're driving. And guys, I, I, once you start paying your own insurance, you'll know this, but boys are twice as likely as girls to have wrecks, so our insurance costs more than girls when we're Teenagers and college students. Now, I'm not trying to scare the teenagers. We, we have some teenagers sitting over here and over there and other places in the room. I'm not trying to scare you. You know why? Because it won't work. Uh, you know, scaring you doesn't work. I remember when I was in high school, they came to the auditorium. They had all the students come, and they showed now they showed this, this video, this film of all these car wrecks, and there was blood, and there was beer, and there was mangled vehicles, and it was gross, and, it was all, and they were trying to scare us. It didn't work. You know, get your attention. You may listen a little bit, make an impression, but fear is the least effective teaching technique available to us. There's value in it, but it's more limited than we think. What I am trying to do today is to make you more conscious, make you more aware of the risk so that you will think about it and maybe take some proactive steps to lessen the risk. That would be a good thing because that's really what parents want. When parents worry about our kids. That's the reason we say things like you saw in the video, things like this. Think, okay, you got a brain, use it, think. That's the reason parents will say, if your friends jumped off a cliff, or my mom would say, if your friend jumped off a bridge, would you jump with them? You know, um, and this one is so true. Nothing good happens after midnight. There's so much truth in that. I mean, yes, yeah, exaggerated, but boy, there's a lot of truth in that. Drive like I'm sitting beside you. That's the version of, hey, think about daddy, think about me. Um, and then this was my favorite saying that was submitted uh, for this series. If you break your leg doing that, don't come running to me. <laughs> I love it. Hey, it doesn't make sense, but it does make sense, right? So parents don't want kids to do stuff that's risky and that that uh, it's dangerous and hurt them. And, and, and here's the reason. Hey, Young, young people, here's the reason parents worry, okay? Two reasons. Two reasons. Number one, because they really do care. They really do care, and it, and, and it hurts them when you get hurt. They care. Here's another reason. It's because all of us who are adults know that really good young people, really good young people, really good young people sometimes make really dumb decisions. And there's a reason for that. Science tells us why. In your brain, this part of your brain in the front, the frontal lobe, is the last part that will fully develop. 
Now, here's the thing. The frontal lobe, that part of your brain, is the part of your brain that's responsible for making decisions. It's the part of your brain that, uh, that helps you be able to control emotions and impulses and not just you feel it so you do it. It's, it's the part of the brain that helps you to quickly think about consequences or the possible outcome of certain actions and decisions. It's the part of the brain that, that controls the, the desire to, to have fun, to, to seek thrills, to have a high, to, to have a rush. And what we know from science is that the frontal lobe does not fully develop in the brain until you are in your mid-20s or older. Science tells us that when you look, when you examine the frontal lobe of a teenager and compare it to the frontal lobe of a college student, there's a big difference in the development. College students, the frontal lobe is more developed than teenagers. Science also says when you look at the frontal lobe, the brain of a college student and compare it to somebody who, who's 25 and older, there's also a big difference because it continues to develop until your mid-20s and early 30s. And so the difference in the frontal lobe of the brain between somebody who is 14 and in high school and somebody who is 28 is huge. And that's the reason sometimes young people who know right and wrong, who have been taught right and wrong, who are good kids, good kids, smart kids, good kids, sometimes do really dumb things. It's not the only reason, but it's a factor because of the impulse. The, and and, and it's, it's, it's especially true when there's pressure, when there's stress, when there's excitement to, to engage that part of the brain and it works. And that's the scientific thing. That's, that's all there. I like what someone said. Someone has compared teenagers to a, to a, a car. This is a, is a big, beautiful car with a really powerful engine. So teenagers are like a car with this big engine, and it, and it, and it has a, a, powerful, a powerful gas pedal, powerful accelerator, and it has brakes that sometimes work. <laughs> Why? Because that part of the brain is not as developed. Now, the, the reality is we have some adults, <laughs> right? You haven't grown up either. There are some of you who are 40 and 50 years old and it's like your brain stuck way back there. It's time you grew up. And so because of all that, parents worry. Because, you know what, we, we were young once. We know how dumb we were at times. Right? Yeah, yeah. Won't tell you what we did, but we did stuff. And I have friends from high school who didn't make it to the college years. Ricky, Lisa. Doug, and I can name others. 
Never made it out of high school. Alive. That happens in our community, doesn't it? Now, where am I going with all this? Well, one, I want, I want young people in the room, whatever your age, I want you to understand, one of the reasons your parents say stuff like this is they've got some reason to. It's not because you're a bad kid. It's just part of growing up, and their job is to protect you, and they care. But here's something else. They not only want you to be safe, Jesus also wants you to be safe. In fact, all of the sayings we're looking at today can be summarized in two things. One, Jesus wants all of us to be safe. And two, Jesus wants all of us to be smart. So he wants all of us to be safe and he wants all of us to be smart. Take your Bible and open it with me to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7. Because Jesus talks about decision-making and uh, being safe. And how decision-making contributes to safety or risk. All right, you ready? Matthew chapter 7, starting at verse 24. And if you don't have a Bible, the words are on the screen. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them. Jesus is saying, everybody who hears what I'm saying and they do something about it, they listen to it, they obey it, may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and yet it did not fall. For it had been founded, been built on a rock. Now, Jesus is talking about more than just building a house. He's talking about building your life compares it to building a house. And when you build a house, you build it on a strong foundation because if you don't, it's going to lean, it's going to crack, maybe even fall. If a house isn't built right, when the storm blows, when, when a hurricane comes, when, when a strong wind comes, it doesn't stand up. Jesus said life is the same way. The way you build your life matters. Now, he, he continues in verse 26, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them. Everybody who hears me and they don't listen, they don't pay attention, they don't act on it, they don't obey it, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house. By the way, did you notice that the rain fell on both houses? The flood came against both houses. The wind blew against both houses. Because life happens to everybody. People of faith, people of no faith, people with strong faith, people with weak faith. Life happens. There's rain, there's floods, there's winds, there, there's, there's rain, there's temptation, there's loss and grief, there's, there's, there's struggle. It's life. It's going to happen to everybody. The difference is not the rain. The floods, the wind. The difference is how do you build the house? How do you build the life? Because one builds it on a rock 
and another builds it on sand. And when the wind hits the house on the rock, they make it through. But when it hits the, the, the one built on sand, they don't make it through and the, and the house collapses. Life falls apart. Now, Jesus is talking about a house. He's talking about your life. You build the house on a, today on a concrete foundation. In the New Testament, you know who the rock is you build your life on? Jesus is the rock. And so Jesus says, if you're going to be smart, you're going to listen to what I say, and you're going to build, my, you're, you're going to build your life on me. On, I, I'm the rock. I'm going to be your foundation. You're going to build on me and, by, by listening to and doing what I say, and that's going to give you strength when life happens. But if you're going to be foolish, then you're not going to listen to me. You're not going to do what I say, and you're going to build your house on that sand, and when the wind comes, you don't have much. how you build your life. Now, what, what does that have to do with safety? Well, it's got a lot. For instance, people who really do try to build their life on Jesus and obey him and be godly and follow him faithfully don't do some of the dumb things that other people do. They don't, you know, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the rain, a lot of the floods, a lot of the wind, a lot of the hardship in life is our own creating. We do it to ourselves. About where we go, what we do, decisions we make, right? Putting ourselves in situations where those impulses take over, where that peer pressure takes over, where that desire for excitement takes over, and 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 the decision making and and the thinking about consequences and the being rational is shoved down. But when you listen to Jesus, you say, you know, there's some things I, I'm, there's just some things I'm not going to do. And that protects you. That protects you. That protects you. The other thing, though, is when things happen and it's not your fault. And that's part of life too, isn't it? It's just life. Some people, because they build their life on the wrong stuff, they end up spending their whole lives bitter and defeated and angry and going from one bad relationship to another bad relationship, from one bad situation to another bad situation, and on and on I could go. No plan for the future, no real sense of direction and purpose in life. But when you build your life on Christ, you approach living different. You have a strength. The strength that comes from heaven is a strength that comes from God. It's a strength that's real. Because if you don't have that strength, a lot of times in the midst of the storm, you make things worse. So, Parents want kids to be safe. Jesus wants all of us to be safe. And by the way, there's some 45-year-old men and women in here who need to start listening to Jesus for, for a change so your life can start improving. 
But there's, there, there's, there's, there's something else. Jesus, uh, Jesus wants you to be, Jesus wants you to be safe, but he also, he also wants you to be smart. Okay, he wants you to be smart. Look in Luke 14. You have your Bible. Look in Luke chapter 14. Now Jesus doesn't say it the way you know parents say it. You know, be smart. He doesn't say if your friend jumps off a cliff, will you jump off a cliff? Uh, he, 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 he's got a different way of saying it. But he's making, making the same point. He wants you to be safe. He wants you to be smart. Look at what he says in Luke chapter 14, starting at verse 28. He said, which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, a building, whatever, does not first sit down and calculate the cost, how much does it cost to build that thing, and then see if you've got enough money to build it? Do you have enough to finish it? Otherwise, when he's laid a foundation and is not able to finish it, all who observe it, everybody who sees it, begin to ridicule him. They make fun of him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Then he uses a different analogy in verse 31. He says, Or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, so here's these two armies led by kings. They're going into battle to war against each other. He said, What king will not first sit down and consider, think about, think about, be smart, think about whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men, 10,000 soldiers to go to war with, with, with another army coming that's got 20,000 soldiers, twice as many. Okay? Being realistic. And if, if the odds are against him, then he, he, he um, in verse 32, meets the other, the other army while he's still far away and tries to negotiate terms of peace. And then in verse 33, Jesus said, So then none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. Now, it's interesting. In telling those two stories, those two analogies, Jesus is highlighting some very basic practical truth that a lot of people don't pay much attention to when it comes to money. Because one of the areas, listen, one of the areas that Jesus wants you to be smart about is, is this whole area of money. Because, listen, we live in a, in a society, in a culture where money, you know, it, it's, it's, the, it's the engine, so to speak. Right? And Jesus says you need to be smart about it that kind of stuff, because if you don't, you can get yourself into some real trouble. Now, think about these stories. One of the things they tell us is that you only have so much money, and you may want to build a tower this tall, but it costs a certain amount to build one that big, but if all you have is the money to build one this big, then why are you trying to build something you can't afford? You don't, very, very few people on this planet have enough money to build anything they'd like to build or buy anything they'd like to buy or do anything they'd like to do. You need to know how much you have and what you can do with it or you're going to look really not smart sometimes. Here's something else these stories do. They just, they just make the point. You, you don't have enough to do everything you'd like to do. You just don't. You can't afford to buy everything, build everything, have everything that you would like to have. And you can get in trouble when you, when, when you don't count the cost. Do you know that not being smart when it comes to money can hurt relationships in the family? I've, I've seen couples struggle in their marriage because they didn't have the same attitude about money, because 
one could not control their spending when it came to a credit card and it just kept them in debt and under financial pressure all the time and there was stress because of that. On and on we could go. Money is one of the four or five things that couples fight about as much as anything else. And a lot of times it's because they don't know a lot about how to manage money, how it works. And you know what's interesting? When, tell, when Jesus told these stories, he never said, now, listen, you go over and you want to build this tower up this tall, but you don't have enough money to build that tower. All you have is enough money to do this. But you want that. Oh, I deserve that. I should have that. You know, nowhere in this story did Jesus say you, you deserve that, and so somebody's going to give you what you need to finish it the way you'd like it. There's no guarantees. Nobody owes you anything. Just because you want it, so what? None other people's responsibility to just say, well, okay, you want it, so here it is. No, it doesn't work that way. That's not life. And so that's why parents say things like, hey, eat all the food on your plate. Think about those starving kids in China. My mom would say, eat, you know, eat everything because of those poor starving kids in Africa. I don't know why she chose Africa over China, but she did. Shut the door. We're not trying to air condition the whole neighborhood. I can just hear some guy saying that, can't you? You, do you know why parents say stuff like that? It's because they know we only have so much. And we can't waste it. So we have to be smart with it. Parents know that. That's why they say weird stuff like that. So the next time your parent says something wacky like that, just kind of laugh at them, but know there's a grain of truth in what they're saying. Dead big problem in America. Our government has so much debt, doesn't know what to do with it, so they just get more debt. That's logical. Let me get away. I'm starting to drift into politics. Get out of that. You know, uh, the biggest debt that most people carry is the mortgage on their house. And then it's cars. For some, it's student loans, credit cards. Do you know that uh, you know there's a, a lot of variation in the interest rates you have to pay on credit cards? And some of them are way up in twenty. Some are the average. The average interest rate on credit cards today in America is about seventeen percent. It's the highest it's ever been, as far as the national average on credit cards. Highest it's ever been. Um. Average American has a balance on their credit cards of about $6,000. And there's a lot of people who are just making the minimum payment every month because it's all they can afford. Now, here's the kicker. One out of five families, listen to this, one out of five families, one out of five families in America today spend more every month than they bring home. You can't sustain that. Sooner or later, the rain falls, the wind blows, the flood comes, and the house tumbles. You can't sustain that way of living. It doesn't work. It catches up with you. And Jesus says, be smart about every area of life, including money. 
I was talking with a father in our church earlier this week. He told me about his daughter who graduated college a little while back, not too long ago, but just a little while ago. Has a full-time job. And she called him. She called him one night after she got her full-time job after graduating college. And she was all upset. She'd gotten her first paycheck. Now, young people over here, do you know why the adults just laughed when I said that? It's because they've seen a real paycheck from a full-time job. And they know that your salary is this, but that's not what you get in that paycheck. She called her dad and she said, what's all these taxes? Because about a third of what she thought she was going to get, the government got. Y'all know anything about taxes? You might want to learn. I'm not going to go any further because it'll get, you know, mm, I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop. Let me, I'll give you, I'll give you this real quick. You know, last uh, last night the Warriors beat the Trailblazers, so uh, Golden State's up 3-0 on Portland and the playoffs. And, you know, there's the brothers, the Curry brothers, and Steph, you know, the, the great, great, great player. You know, his contract pays him a lot of money, 30, I think it's $37.5 million. But look at how much he takes home after taxes. Everybody want to move to California? <laughs> I'm just saying you better learn something about taxes. Okay, let's go on and get out of that. That's, 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 the reason, that's the reason parents are trying to say, hey, listen, it's just not going to be given to you. You've got to earn it. You've got to work. You've got to be smart. You, you have to know how to make good decisions. Don't, don't just expect. You've got to go for it. That's the reason that, that little saying was in the video. You know, Some parents say you can't start at the top when you get your first job. All right, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give a shout-out to all you Clemson Tiger fans. All, wave at me. You a Tiger fan? Any Tiger fans in the room today? All right, your coach, Dabo Swinney. Do you know how much money Dabo Swinney makes every year? Well, what we know is over $9 million. Over $9 million a year. Hey, I, I'd take that job for one, one year and they could fire me and I'd be happy. <laughs> I wouldn't win many games, but I'd be happy. <clears throat> but, you know, Dabo grew up kind of rough, tough, hard. Did not get a scholarship to play college football. In fact, he was a walk-on at Alabama back in the early 90s, a walk-on. <clears throat> and then I think it was his second year, could have been his third, um, or the dude that went to Texas A&M, Gene Stallings, won a national title at Alabama, <clears throat> finally gave Dabo a scholarship. And when Dabo graduated college, <clears throat> Gene Stallings, I think it was Stallings, hired him as a graduate assistant. Now, think, oh, he's it? no, no. Today, today, 2019, okay, that was 20, 25 years ago. 2019, a graduate assistant at a college football program makes on average somewhere around maybe $20,000 a year, some a little more, some less. Can you imagine how much Dabo made 25 years ago in that role? And he had that role for three years while he was married. Mm. 
Then he was hired as an assistant coach, a position coach, and was there for a few years at Alabama. And then I can't remember, it was late 90s, early 2000s, somewhere in there. Uh, Bama wasn't doing well, and they fired the entire coaching staff. Head coach and every assistant in Dabo was unemployed, out of college coaching, out of football, and for the next three years worked in real estate. And then Tommy Bowden, who was the coach at Clemson then, hired him as an assistant coach, as a position coach, and he did that for several years. And, of course, you know the story now. He's the head coach, and he's making big money. But that's not where he started. And all along the way, it would have been so easy to get angry and bitter So easy to just fuss and complain, life's not fair, it should be easier than this. Would have been so easy to quit. But you, you remember that passage where Jesus said, the person who listens to me and then acts on it is like the wise man who builds his house on the rock and it's strong through the storms. Well, Dabo built his life on the rock of Jesus Christ. And that just gives you a strength. Jesus wants you to be safe. But Jesus also wants you to be smart. That's, that's, that's the reason he ends that story in and in Luke 14, in, in verse 33, but say, none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. Jesus is saying, you just got, you, you, you need to, if you want to be smart, just take your whole being and everything that's a part of you and just, just tr trust me with it. Give it to me. Give yourself to me. Give your money to me. And here's the thing. You see, when I surrender even my money to Jesus, it's so much easier to surrender everything else to him. But if I haven't even surrendered my money to Jesus, it means there's probably other areas in my life I'm struggling to surrender to him as well. Because that's the one, that's the one that's the most sensitive to us is money. And it goes to the very heart of trust and lordship. And so Jesus says, I want you to be safe and I want you to be smart. You know who the most generous people in America are? Hmm? Financially, you know who the most generous people are? Foundations, different entities who, do, who study this. Same, it's the same story every year. The people who are the most generous in this country are those who are really serious about their faith. Those who are really dedicated to the Lordship of Jesus Christ are the most generous people in this country, and it's not even close. And it's not just generosity to the church. It's also generosity to agencies and, and so on in the community that help people. That the, that, now, there are exceptions, but on the norm, the less religious, the less dedicated, the less strong someone is in their faith, the less generous they are, not only to religious work, but to any work, any donations in the community as a norm. You see, when you build your life, listen to me, when you build your life on the rock of Jesus and you surrender everything to him, not only does it make your life better and your family have greater opportunity, listen, it makes the community in which we live a better place.
You make this city a better place. And God calls us to be a blessing to the community where we live. Let me close with this. I want you to look at God's plan for dealing with, with, with life and with money. This is God's plan. And those aren't just three things you do. That's the sequence in which you do them when you're surrendered to the Lordship of Christ. You give first, save second, and live on what's left. What's left. That's God's plan. Do you know what the world's plan happens to be? Total opposite. It's just all inverted. The world says live, live, live. And then if you have a little bit left, you might want to give or save. But only if you've got a little bit left. That's the world's plan. God's plan is you give, then you save, then you live. And you know what will happen? You'll end up later in life living better than the ones who didn't do it that way. See, God's smart. God, know how, God, God knows how life works. And he's trying to say, hey, are you going to listen to me? That's the reason when we started, Jesus said, he said, the person who listens to me, hears me, and then does what I say, that's the wise person who builds their life the right way. God is smart, and he wants you to be smart. So are you listening to God? Are you doing what he says in life? Let's stand. Team's coming to lead us in singing. I encourage you right now to make your way to this altar and get on your knees and pray for yourself, for your family. Teenagers, pray about your future. Don't let your future just happen. Don't let it just, well, whatever happens, happens. Don't, don't, no, 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 don't live like that. Make some decisions. Point, point you toward a future that is that is that is good. Come and talk to one of these pastors. Anybody here, they'll, they'll be glad to pray with you. To you can kneel here and pray. If you, we invite you to encourage you to come and join this church or to ask for baptism. And most importantly, if you've never listened to Jesus and committed your life to Him and became one of His disciples, one of His followers, we're asking you to come and say today, I want to become a follower. Jesus. So let's sing together. You come.